Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. I am your host, Jerry Wan, and I want to thank you for joining us today here on episode 152. And if you're joining us here for the first time, thank you so much. And if you've been with us through the entire ride, extra thank you for allowing us and allowing me to share our unique Asian American stories. Today is episode number five in our continuing series with our friends at Stand with Asian Americans. Uh, thanks to Justin, Brian, Wendy, Diana, and everybody else at SWA who has made this partnership possible. Today, we're going to do a little bit something different and then not talk topically about uh, Dear Asian Americans, what now, looking at what has happened, but uh, sharing the story of somebody who's been really critical and very vocal and very visible in the advocacy space, um, not only during the last two years, but far beyond that. And uh, that is our very, very good friend, uh, Calista Wu, whose stage name, her um, singer name, is Callie Star. And so Calista Wu uh, is a lawyer turned activist turned entertainer. Uh, she was of counsel for Hate is a Virus and sits on the board of uh, Asian Americans Advan Advancing Justice and is a very familiar face at community organizations, meetings, events, uh, wherever you find Asian Americans in LA and, and beyond. And so I uh, had a chance to learn about her background, uh, her path from law, through law, into what she is doing now. And uh, for, for maybe the first time in a very long time, not definitely not the first time, but uh, you'll be hearing music on Dears and Americans. And so uh, as we transition now from the intro to the interview, you will hear a snippet of her latest song, Don't Give Up. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, we will play that entire song in its entirety. And so thank you to Callista for allowing us to play her song on our podcast as we share her story with you today. And so without further ado, uh, preceded by a snippet of her song, Don't Give Up, my conversation with Calista Wu. It'll be okay, you'll be alright, you're almost there, don't give up the fight. You'll find a way to make it through, just look inside and face the truth. It'll be okay, you'll be alright, you're almost there, don't give up the fight. Uh, my dear friend Calista Wu is joining us today. You may have known her in a former life as a lawyer, as a community activist. And we went really down the rabbit hole uh, and went all the way back to her life as a former consultant, as it was mine. And now she has began a new career in wanting to use her gifts of singing and entertainment to impact the world in a positive way. And so it's really interesting. We, we met through the work that uh, she has done with Hate is a Virus and other community organizations. At the top, straight off the top, shout out to our friend Gloria Lee and many, many other people who live in our world. And so, Calista, welcome to the Eurasian Americans. Thank you, Jerry. It's so great to be here. I love the work that you do, and I love how this podcast originated. And you're such a champion for our community. So it's such a privilege to talk to you. Thank you. I will, I will take that. How are you? It's beginning of 2022. Last year was a hell of a year, and it seemed very reactive. I think we were just trying to just living on anxiety of when's the next bad thing going to happen and how do we, can we even, is it even a possibility for us to even prevent some of these things and how do we cope with it all? And, and you've been in the thick of it through your work, uh, again, with Hate as a Virus and you're joined the board of Advancing Justice, which is an amazing organization helping uh, victims and all this work. 
AAAJ, shout out to Connie, has been really in the forefront and very visible in the work that we've done. So how are you personally after what was and must have been an exhausting year? That's a great question, Jerry. I think personally, you're right. I think a lot of things that we did, well, personally and collectively were were reactive and, and sort of trying to respond to incidents or real tragedies and disasters and trying to figure out how to mobilize, like how to encourage other people, how to get information out. And I think a lot of people, including myself, have been a little fatigued as a result. Um, but I think this past, since 2022 started, I've been taking time to really rest uh, to get my bearings, to figure out strategically what to focus on, what not to focus on, um, and just really taking the time to process what's been happening and what has happened. Because I think last year, 2021, was really a huge blur for me. How has that changed? We'll, we'll get to your music, which obviously is, is what, you know, you launch your um, album and the next chapter, if you will, in your um, amazing life story. Did that accelerate things for you in the way that you how you felt about your previous uh, chapter in legal and sort of, because for, for me, it had, it, it didn't help me pivot, but it helped me validate the work that I was doing, that I was on the right path and sort of helped me focus when times were tough or money wasn't coming in or, you know, a lot of things just get thrown at you. Did that change the way that you saw your legacy or your impact playing in the long run? Yeah, I think I've always been a, a part of the Asian American community for as long as I can remember. Um, just because I used to do music and uh, and and arts and entertainment before I started law school, and so I've just that's been my community, that's been my friends, that's been my people, my tribe, um, and I think I've always known the importance and the impact, but I think it was heightened um, end of twenty twenty beginning of 2021. Actually, I, I started with hate as a virus when COVID pretty much started. So 2020 um, and 2021, I think it was just, I just realized the urgency of it and the importance of it. And I think what I talk about the importance of um, starting my own entertainment company to encourage others to pursue possibility, launching myself as a pop artist after a career in law. I think so many of it, uh, so many of the reasons behind it uh, were to increase representation, to break barriers. And and I really think that my work in the community, what people call activism, really heightened for me the sense of, wow, people don't really know that Asian Americans exist, unfortunately. Um, a lot of people don't. And a lot of people don't understand like the diversity within Asian America. And I myself am learning still um, who we are, what our stories are like, what our journeys have been, what our ancestors' journeys have been, like where we come from, what we like. And so it's just been a big learning experience. But I realized like for me, at least music growing up was such an important part in shaping my understanding of the world and shaping my understanding of other people's cultures that were different from my own. And so I realized, wow, like I, this is so important. People who look like us getting our music out there, getting our, our voices out there, because how else are people going to know and understand what we're about unless we actually put it out there? And, and there's lots of barriers and challenges to that, I understand. Um, but it really just pushed me to, to do this, um, now and and work as hard as I could. So looking back at where we are and looking hindsight, everything 
either could make sense or will make sense of sort of the path that you chose. But would love to get a better understanding of where this all started. How did the Wu family become Chinese American? Where did you grow up? And, and, you know, we just talked about music and the importance of having people who look and sound like us, not just have music, because I would argue that the, you know, the global popularity of K-pop isn't necessarily a Korean American experience. It's the explosion of something that's uniquely Korean. Yeah. Where did you grow up? And or some of the earlier things that you were impacted by? Yeah, so uh, my parents both immigrated, uh, or f- and they came from Taiwan. And so I grew up in the 626 in Gabriel Valley in Southern California. And I used to make annual trips back to Taiwan. And I was fascinated with that, that culture, right? The music where people looked like me, and, and but sp- but. Sp- saying in a different language. And it really encouraged me to learn Chinese, to learn that different culture that somehow I was kind of part of, but somehow I wasn't. Uh, and I was always just trying to figure out where I belonged. I think growing up in the 626, you, you have people who look like you, but it was always like how much of, of that do I embrace? And, and, and just never really feeling like I knew where I fit in exactly. And, um, yeah, just trying to figure that out for myself. Um, I think my story starts just, you know, being uh, an immigrant kid where I had dreams of being a lawyer and a singer. And my parents were confused, uh, as to why I wanted to do either of those things or how I got those ideas. And I I really do think that it, it was kind of a divine calling. Um, I sort of lost that along the way because I, you know, went to, university and I got into the undergraduate business program and I, you know, as you mentioned, got into management consulting. Um, and then I rediscovered my faith and I rediscovered my childhood passions. And so it's really been a journey to get to where I am today. For those of us who are familiar with the 626, I didn't grow up there. I grew up in an equally Korean neighborhood in Fullerton. And so when you're growing up in America, but in a part of America where we are the, nar- we are the dominant narrative, where it's common to have all your school friends look like you, speak, you know, your native tongue and, and go eat the foods that you like. How did that impact sort of your impression of what was possible? Because I, I think, you know, when we, when we talk to friends who grew up in different parts where there wasn't, it's always you're left out. But and you went to Cal, which is more diverse than the 626, arguably, but there's still plenty of Asian folks where you we I've never really felt out of place until I, I lived, I moved in a an amazing city in the middle of California called Bakersfield. And yes, that was sarcastic. But how did that shape sort of your place in wanting to be all that all that you could be sort of charging your own identity with the expectations that come not only from society, but not only from family, but from your own peers and charging like, well, is the life between singing and being a lawyer a binary choice, which I think it's usually presented to us in that way, that you can't do both or at least not at the same time. How did you see that when you, I guess, with, with all the hindsight that you have now? Was that beneficial to you? Was that a challenge to you? I have always been somebody who just didn't really listen to other people. <laughs> Which, you know, my parents were like, God help us with this child, right? Uh, and I, I think I would I would take the advice of other people and really like immerse myself in different worlds to kind of learn. But at the end of the day, I would always kind of make my own decisions. And I find that there were so many times where I would when I when I ever did 
take other people's opinions as fact for what I could do and what I could be. I was never really happy. And it, I ended up uh, losing some of myself. And I realized that that mm. was something that I, I couldn't live with. Um, and I think growing up in the 626, you're right. I knew I wasn't like the immigrants and I knew I wasn't really like the people outside of my community, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think it was until, until college where I started to feel, okay, there's, there's like people a little bit different from me, but still I was in an Asian sorority. Like I surrounded myself with primarily like people who look like me. And I was kind of understanding a little bit more of like what Asian Americans were like. And I think when I started my first management consulting job, I really, really, um, that's when I interacted with a lot of people who didn't look like me for the first time. I, and I, I was surprised like at the topics they would talk about. And I, I just felt really lost. I remember like I didn't follow sports. I didn't watch the same TV shows like Arrested Development. Like I didn't understand the jokes. And um, and that became a common thread for me. Like even um, when I started working in big law, there were, I, I realized there's a lot of these conversations that happened like around lunch or, at, you know, at these around coffee where um, people would just talk about things that I didn't really grow up having the same experience with. And I, I started slowly to just show a little bit more of myself, like, oh, I'm actually interested in anime. I'm actually interested in music. And so I've just, it's just been this whole process of learning who I am and kind of slowly owning that and growing into myself. So when we look at you on paper, or at least from a what has she done sequentially? It's, as you mentioned, a little bit of business. You, you mentioned sort of faith. And so you worked in that space a little bit, then law school, then law, then singing, which is the next chapter. That's sort of the easy, logical, sequential thing. We don't, obviously, when it comes to our creative pursuits or the things that we feel very passionate about, ever put that on a shelf while we're lawyering. How did you maintain your love of music, your craft of music? throughout that? And when did you decide and what prompted the decision to say, F it, or maybe now is the last chance that I, you know, take us through that decision process of, I guess, the journey of singing, keeping the singing thing alive, and then the decision to jump all in on it, as you did in the last uh, year. So growing up, uh, music was my passion. Music, I taught myself how to sing um, by listening to different artists and rewinding on, you know, <laughs> on different cassette tapes or different uh, CDs that don't exist Now we're really confusing the anymore. young people. What are <laughs> And just going over, like learning how to do runs, learning how to imitate di different Disney princess voices, like on the VHS, you know, um, and it just really, it just, it just was something that I, I did for myself to escape, to learn, to grow. And then I grew up singing in church. And when I went to college, I did acapella. And music was, I, I actually told my parents, right, when I was really little that I wanted to be a singer. And, and they were very against it. They were just so worried about me and how I was going to provide. And it's dangerous, they thought, especially for younger females. Um, and all their exposure to different people who were in that space, they were just like, out of our love for you, we were going to protect you from going into that industry at all costs. And I don't know if I would have acted differently if I were in their shoes. Um, and I just, 
just uh, really kept music as something that was in my life always in some capacity. And uh, so I think when I when I left the management consulting life, I was singing in church and I started writing music and ghostwriting and working with different artists uh, in the Asian American community who are pretty much the ones that are the most well-known now. And I, when I went, made the decision to go into law school and leave behind a deal, I realized I needed to equip myself to be able to help those people and myself in the future. So it was a very conscious choice. And I knew I was going to come back to music someday. I just didn't know if I was going to be singing or just working uh, the deals or working the contracts or just supporting with providing resources or connections. So I, I mean, I think when I was in law school and when I was grinding as a junior associate at a, at, in a big law firm or when I was clerking for the Ninth Circuit, I, I don't think I really had much music in my life except just to listen to it sometimes um, or sing, you know, at home or, or in the car. But when um, I started having a little bit more freedom, a little bit more autonomy over my schedule, I uh, would support my friends and going to their like their shows, going to their concerts, um, and I would sing at, at church again. And, and when I sing, say sing at church, my church is very large. <laughs> it's like a, it's there's a lot of a lot of people. Um, so yeah, so I I think just keeping some kind of artistic expression in my life, even though I was doing something that's completely not artistic, like you know doing deals as a as a corporate attorney. Um, and then I think I just knew like that I was supposed to go back into it. And there was something that only I could do with my skill set and my history, which is to use everything that I've learned with business, with consulting, with law, with music to create this company to hopefully break barriers for people who look like me and who had dreams and to just encourage other people to be more than the boxes that people put you in. And that's really my life story. Um, so started that company end of September, 2020, and then realized I needed to launch myself as an artist first um, to just show people that I'm really doing it. I'm really in it myself, starting from scratch again. And hopefully um, to encourage other people, you can do it and help other people along the way. And if people can surpass me, that's great. Like I'm I'm all for it. I love it. Um, there is something that you said that I think you are uh, uniquely qualified to do this, right? And I, and I say that because there, there, there's a mantra that I live by that you like all the bells in my head head went off because what I was taught as a young person from my dad, and I think I, I want to preface this, and I've said this plenty of times on the show, if, if for folks who listen all the time, our, our parents did the best that they could given the understanding of the world that they had. Um, grandparents, many of ours lived through war, famine, death, worse, seeing people they love die. Our parents left their country for economic reasons, and we can't do 50% of what they did nearly impossible. We're, we're so privileged. So I'm, I'm going to preface this because this is not a pooping on my dad moment. He said, so I started selling out of college. Like I sold homes, I sold mortgages. Selling is not a glorified skill or a job in the Asian American hierarchy of good jobs because they don't equate it with something that, that requires a college education, right? Because anybody can sell. And so from time to time, my dad would, you know, nudge be like, Hey, you know, you should really think about doing something that you can do that your degree allows you to do. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting way to look at it. And for him, he was basically saying, use your privilege to your best advantage to get in the rooms that somebody who doesn't have your pedigree or your 
academic experience can't, which I think is a great way to look at the world. And yet I, I think his understanding of that was, has for me has evolved, which now I take as do whatever the hell you want, but do it in the best goddamn way possible because of your experiences, your academic and all the things that make you, you. Right. And so like, do you need a law degree to sing? Hell no. Do I need an MBA to make a podcast? Absolutely not. But are we the best versions of what we are? Because there are things that go into our networks and the kinds of people that are on here, the way that we're able to carry a conversation, the way that we're able to do the business outside of the thing that we do. Absolutely. And the way that we view this opportunity to live out our both our creative and our life dreams, it's more special because we know how much crap there exists in the corporate world or whatever job world. And so when you said that, only you can be here in this very moment to do what you do. And even though you may have been equally talented, if we can argue that your gift is genetic, you starting your singing career right out of high school 20 years ago would not have been the same thing as you're doing it now, right? Because I think also, it's like, man, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're starting, you got two kids, Jerry, you're starting what, this speaking business, whatever you're doing in your 30s, like, what the hell? And, you know, some people might be like, wait, she's a singer now? Didn't lawyering pay well? Like, what the hell, right? So, but I think people also need to understand, like, not to get so philosophical or, you know, divine, if, if whatever you believe in, like, we're here because of all everything that's happened to us. And Calissa is an, even a better singer because she was a lawyer. And people have to see that. And so I, I, I want to thank you for nudging me of that and, and reminding me of that because it really is something that we forget often because we see younger people, people who start early in their lives, com not competing, but like in the same space. And you're like, man, like they got the gift of time. I don't. But you are, we are perfectly where we need to be. And in the grand scheme of things, so young, with, with decades and decades ahead of us. And so on that note, uh, when you told, I don't know, your parents, your friends, your colleagues, did you tell your law firm that you were quitting to pursue entertainment? Like, what sort of reactions were you prepared to receive? And how did you deal with that? Because even the most well-intentioned of friends and family offend us when they don't really understand our purpose, our mission, and why we want to do the things that we want to do. So share with us sort of the, because there must be some people out there who want to make the jump into something that maybe you and I are doing. And the thing that is holding them back is the fear of feedback, the fear of, especially from our parents, what are you doing? And Asian people love to say, I sent you to law school and now you're doing what? You know, they take ownership of them sending us to schools, which I think is funny. But how, how, did, you, how did you personally deal with that, Calista? I think a lot of my friends were very encouraging. They're like, oh my God, you're finally doing this or you're getting back into it. I think they were all very shocked when I launched my my first EP before I went to law school. And then I was like, I'm I'm doing law now. They're like, what? You know, I think people <laughs> for, for years afterwards were like, what was that about? Like, what's going on? And I, I, I think so many people, I, I'm just blessed that so many people around me and around you are just really like, encouraging and supportive in that space. I think my parents though, it's, it's really interesting. So <laughs> my dad actually told me, and this was after I already left the law firm and I already was working on music and like you had no income. Uh, my dad told me 
uh, Callista before my dad. So my grandpa, my dad's dad, before uh, my grandpa died, he told my dad, if Callista wants to do music, don't stop her. Mm. And so he said, my dad already prepared me for this before he passed away. And this was one of the last things he told me. So if you want to do music now, Callista, I won't stop you. And I, I pretty much get emotional every time I, I hear that because I think my grandpa, my, my dad's dad was the only one who ever really, really championed and was so proud of my music. He would hmm. force people to listen to it when they visited him, like in Taiwan, he'd be like, sit here, listen to this. My granddaughter's going to sing. Um, uh. Yeah. But the thing is, my grandpa passed away when I was in law school. Like hmm. my grandpa passed away over 10 years ago, I think. And it took another 10 years for my dad to finally tell me, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> and I'm an adult. So I, I think my dad came around first because of that emotional experience. And then my mom ha- like, has came around much later. I think she was like, Calista, when are you going to get a job? Uh, don't you want to work in house? Like, when are you gonna? I'm like, mom, I'm I have a company. She's like, no, yeah, but like, when are you gonna get like a job? <laughs> you know, and they're still really worried about like things like health insurance yeah. and like all that stuff. You know, so it, it it's it's constantly a struggle. But I think they're supporting me to the best of their ability. They pray for me. Like I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be on a podcast. They're like, oh, I'm gonna pray for you. And so they they're really, really kind. And I'm very, very blessed. It's taken a lot for me and them to come to this point. So I'm just really happy. Our relationship has not always been easy, but they they've really, really made an effort to understand me and to support me the best they can. My mom always used to jokingly threaten me, you know, you'll know when you become a parent, you know, and it's sort of her voicing her frustration that I didn't see it her way. And not that she wanted to be right, but that it was coming from a place of just eternal love and wanting the best for us. And I, I think when we think about career conflict, and especially as as two people who've gone way to hell off the beaten path of what's expected of us when you look at our academic resume, our parents want nothing but the best for us. And it's hard to see that sometimes. It, it's really hard to understand why don't you let me live my dream or do let me just take this chance. And again, I'll go back to, you have to keep in mind that when they grew up in Taiwan and Korea in the 50s and 60s, school was all, there was the only way out of whatever the heck it was out of, out of a, you know, a bad life, a poor life out of whatever it was. And so I, I think it's really important to understand that in their world, and they never, at least my parents really never fully embraced and understood American academic or professional opportunity, not even culture. They just want for us to follow a path that they know in their heart of hearts is repeatable and dependable. And so this scares them. I I think it's driven by fear of the unknown that why would you walk away from a six-figure career as a consultant and a lawyer to pursue what? Something unknown? Like, did we not sacrifice, give you the gift of stability? And here we are saying, yeah, stability is nice, but so is like, shooting for a million bucks or whatever it is, right? Academic or financially or whatever. So I, I, I love it. Why now? We, we've gotten hints of it. And then you said you founded the company 18 months ago to make change. Then the decisions for you to be the label's first artist, rightfully so, and, and poetically so, is you. Tell, take us through that process. And were you hesitant? Did you want to play behind the scenes? And, and what 
convinced you or what was the light bulb moment where you said, hey, it's got to be me? There's so many factors that went into this. I think the pandemic, I think the rise in anti-Asian violence that occurred at that time. I think I was so used to being behind the scenes, just supporting from behind the scenes, moving resources, raising money. Um, and, and I realized the importance of having a voice and having a platform and sharing your story. So even posting when initially with the hate is a virus hashtag and the mask, I think back then I was like, should I do this? Are the legal people going to judge me? Like, is this political? You know, as a lawyer, you think about all the consequences, you think about all the sides and you're so risk averse, right? Because that's your job to minimize risk and liability. But I, there's something in me that said like, I have to do this because if I don't, I'm going to regret it. And, and I'm so glad that I did because then, you know, I, it was so important and who knew that Atlanta would happen and like so many tragic things would happen and that the community would grow into such an amazing group that's so selfless and everyone's, you know, just still a volunteer and trying to build this nonprofit organization. And I think the same with, with music, I think, and this company, I, I learned like, okay, there's, there's a lot to be said about doing things without expecting recognition or just supporting from behind the scenes. But there's so much that you can do if you do have a platform and you want to use it for good. And maybe it's okay if it's me, instead of shying away and doing like, maybe the even traditional Asian thing where it's like, oh no, like don't look at me, I don't want the attention. I realized like maybe there's a reason why I look the way I do. Maybe there's a reason why I can sing. Maybe there's a reason why I have these talents and maybe I should figure out how I'm going to use them to make the world better or to leave my mark and hopefully inspire other people. Um, and I'm okay if it doesn't happen because at least I will have shown people this journey and then maybe someone else can carry the, the baton and, for their portion of the race, or maybe someone else can build the bridge next, right? The next piece. And I will, I will have done what I could. And I realized, I think before there's a lot of perfectionism, like I need to present myself as I've made it, but now it's like, well, the whole point is the journey and yeah. being vulnerable and being authentic. And I think I've fought so much to know who I am that I'm able to comfortably be myself in every room now. And so I feel like Maybe I'm ready now to show people this is what I'm thinking. This is who I am. It's still scary um, because I think you don't want to be judged. But then I realized that's the whole point is to show people um, the process. So I think that's why it's me and that's why it's now and that's why there's art and there's expression. And I'm still learning what that means and, and unfolding and exploring my own emotions and my artistic creativity. And so it'll be a journey. And I, I really hope that other people will also go through that journey alongside me. I don't know if it's age or life experience or getting punched in the face so many times or trying all the things that you're supposed to try, the, the shoulds of the world and realizing that for some of us, it doesn't fulfill anything. Going to grad school, nobody, very few people admit it is, is sometimes a band-aid to see if you can feel better about yourself or getting a graduate degree is what's going to make me happy than getting a better job that people think is impressive and adding a zero to your salary or whatever it may be. I mean, that was a path for me. It's sort of like doing all the things that you're supposed to do to achieve happiness. And then you're like, well, none of that matters. And, and so I, I agree with you. And adding to something that you said, showing up in 
your current version and showing people your journey not only helps you show up, but it's actually kind of cool. Sometimes it's sad, but it's cool at the end of the day. You see who shows up for you then and not the finished product. I, I have to think, I actually forgot who said it. So I'm, I don't, it's, I'm not even mad anymore. But when, when we were celebrating the one year anniversary of this show last March, I, I made a big fanfare about it. And one comment just stuck with me. And I, I think he meant well. He said, uh, hey, man, congratulations. I can't believe you did it. And I'm like, well, why didn't you? And if you wanted to help me get there with more certainty, why don't you put some money in my pocket or support me in some other way or listen to a goddamn episode or share something? Here you are at some sort of fictional celebration that I'm making to help promote the show and to celebrate myself, just to lead with, holy crap, he did it, which then what's the ingoing hypothesis that it wasn't going to happen? And oh, my God, he proved me wrong. And so, you know, I mean, I say this all the time, but like, you got to support people before they get there because of, when you get there, of course, you know, and I'm, I, I don't know, it's, it's humbling at any point for people to want your time, your attention to invite you to places and blah, blah, blah. But it's 50 times, a hundred times more impactful when they come to your opening party, when they buy your first album or be your first Patreon donor. Cause you know, like people remember that stuff and it's, you know, who, who believed in you when nobody would. And especially when we see so much inequity in terms of access, when it even comes to music, writing a book, podcast, acting, movies, starting a business, anything. And we can't complain about the fact that we don't see examples of Asian Americans in those places. If you're not then willing to be the first gift for first support or the first belief, in somebody else who's going to be that person in 15 years, folks. We can't have it both ways. And so go on Facebook. There's so many people asking for help. Or, you know, it'd be like, hey, I have 100 bucks left over this month. Like, are there some Patreons of up and coming artists I can help? Like, it's 100 bucks. And if you're making okay money, that may not be a big deal to you. And actually, financially, it may not change somebody's life. But the psychological belief that they're worth somebody's support is life-changing. And so I, I think that's, yeah, we, we got to support the people early. And again, I, I think for, for you and me, we, we went into this after a career. And so, you know, the decision-making process was a little bit different. But let's talk about the music. I started hearing about your project not in, from two places, or two sources, rather. One was you, and you're saying, hey, I'm going to come up with this. And I was like, holy crap, this is exciting. I still feel bad because I took one business trip last year in 2021 to uh, New, New Hampshire and it was the day of your release party. And so I couldn't go. And so I apologize. I will make it up one day. And the other person was Jay Chong, who produced, your, who produced you. And for people who don't know, and you're an old Korean American fart like me, he was one third of Solid, who we grew up like loving junior high school, 1996 and beyond, who sort of became. And they were Korean-American, right? Like they were from here. And so it was like extra relatable and cool. And Enoch, uh, like, tell us about the music. How, how did those folks get involved? Um, was it intentional that you had a Korean and Chinese-American uh, production team to help you? Or were they, I mean, they're the best in the business in their own right, regardless of community relationship. But 
tell me about sort of the, how the creative process and what type of music. Tell us about the whole creative process for, to, to share some insight to up and coming singers and people who are interested in getting into the music business. Sure. So something about me, as you kind of mentioned, Jerry, is I'm very relational. So I build very relationally and I, I don't necessarily build the fastest or um, I guess the most, I'm not the most bullish. I think it, for me, relationships, it's a very important component and purpose. So, so I try to build with people who are aligned with the same purpose and mission, or at the very least, they understand my purpose and my mission and they're okay supporting that. So when I started working on music, again, it was during lockdown and during the pandemic. So mm. I was friends with Enoch and I had a, a relationship somewhat with Jay, um, but we started to get to know each other a little bit better because we we're in the same area in Orange County and we we're in the same COVID bubble. And so we would kind of hang out and just talk about different things that were important to us, what was going on in our lives, what we thought about music. And I told them all about my dreams and all about the purpose and how I wanted to break barriers. And they were like, that's hard. <laughs> Why are you going to come and do music when you have income and like, you're going to make this jump? Like, it's insane. Like you have to have so much faith to freelance and be like, you know, not tied to a nine to five or steady pay. And so we would have a lot of conversations. And I think once they realized like how serious I was, they're like, okay, then uh, we know you can sing and we know you have talent. So let's work. And I worked, I, I ended up doing a few songs with Jay and a few songs with Enoch. Um, Enoch and Jay are friends and they go way back. I think they were in Machi together, or sort of the Machi family in Taiwan. And um, I think Jay even taught Enoch a little bit about production and they were in Royal Pirates, like working Royal Pirates together um, in Korea. And so they, they're they really, really close. And so me coming into working with them uh, together, but also separately was, was really interesting. They work differently, but I kind of told them aesthetically, I want, I really like Dua Lipa. I really like Katy Perry. Like, can I have a project? Like, I'm going to try to make a project that looks like that. And I'm very into visuals and I'm very into like my own aesthetic. And so they were trying to understand me and there were tons of Pinterest boards that were made. Um, and <laughs> I think it was all about understanding like how can we take Callista's vision and message and purpose and create that world for enhanced versions of Callista in some of these songs. So I worked with Enoch separately. Um, Enoch and I uh, would kind of build the track and build the top line, the music and lyrics that, that I sing. It's called, we call it the top line at, at the same time. And, and we brought in uh, another writer named Asir Akmal to work with us on, on the song we worked together that we released called Can't Sleep. And yeah, I mean, we, it was really fast. We just, I had a home studio uh, and Enoch would come and bring his equipment and we just write during sessions and record. And he would take it, take his laptop back home and, and mix and work on different things like in between our sessions with Jay, Jay and I, um, Jay, would like talk to me and then like, you know, show me ideas for, uh, with the backing tracks. And, uh, we, I, we would write together, um, in his studio, he has a home studio and we brought in, um, Kione, who's another mentee, uh, artist that 
Jay is working with. And she was, I think, like 16 at the time. I think she's 18 years old now. But we would write together. And it was just it's just so fun to see what comes out of you uh, based on your experiences, your 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 creativity in, in a studio session. And things happen pretty quickly. So and we and then we we were all together when we brought on Brad Wong together uh, to direct the music videos, and I made sure they were very aligned with the concepts and the storylines, and that's that. Man, I one I love the you said I'd rather build right with the right people than to build fast. Build fast is sort of the capitalist mantra these days, and go go go. And but it's nice to build right, and it and it's nice. Man, I, I've known Enoch since uh, him and my friend Danny Park were in a neighborhood band called Burning Tree Project, which which was special to me because I lived up Burning Tree Road in Fullerton um, as a kid. And so I, I got the reference and, you know, all that stuff. But it is really nice, I think, for kids now and kids later to see people who look like them. And, and I think your story is important because I... I don't want to paint you as a one-dimensional, like former lawyer turned singer and sort of, but it's nice for people to know that there are multiple paths to get to what you want to do in an, a part of life where it is so, even now when you talk to students, just the singular linear path to some somebody else's definition of success is what's expected of you. And there's such obsession over like, if you don't get into company X right out of undergrad, your life is ruined and so much pressure that people put on. And, but, you know, I, I think it's a very different world with different opportunities exist that exist that when you and I were growing up, certainly the media and the internet landscape is completely different. You're obviously well on your way to being this truer, not only a successful entertainment person objectively, but inside just feeling like you're in the right place at the right time. But it, it took us a while, you and me both, well into our 30s to make this move. Would you have done anything differently? Or what would, what sort of advice would you give to a uh, perhaps somebody who's miserable in law school or miserable reviewing docs or lost in an Excel spreadsheet somewhere where they know, and let's say that person's in their early 20s, but they know they have this other thing that they eventually want to do. Again, hindsight is so wonderful, but... What kind of advice would you give that person who wants to follow in your footsteps and pivot really hard left? I would say that it's it's okay to sometimes feel like you've given up on certain things and to hold on to that hope that they might come back again or that you might still be able to live out that dream in the future. I think so many times we lay things down and it's like, Gosh, like it's so hard, right? That surrender, that letting go. But I think there came a point in my life where I realized, wow, every part of my journey that I have gone through, I'm kind of using skills from that life right now. And mm -hmm. I need all of it. I'm really using all of it and no time was wasted. And so I think... I used to tell other people and kind of more to tell myself, like to rationalize. <laughs> um, I would tell myself like there's different seasons in my life and I'm learning uh, how to develop different tools to use in my tool belt. And so yeah. I'm like, oh, now I have the law tool belt now I or tool in my tool belt. Now I have this, you know, and and I think it's it's cheesy. But really now 
I have different tools and I kind of realized, wow, it doesn't even stop here. Like, how can I get more tools to build what I want to build? And, but I think it, the more important thing is knowing who you are and what you're trying to build and why you're trying to build it instead of just building for the sake of building or accumulating tools for the sake of accumulating tools. Um, so yeah, I think there's so much story to unpack in everybody and their journey. And sometimes you feel like you're giving up and you're not going to see things again, or you lay things down or you plant a seed and you're like, I don't know if that's ever going to grow into something. Um, but I just want to encourage people. Like sometimes things come back around and sometimes expected, unexpected opportunities come from another direction that you never thought. And sometimes things just click and you're like, wow, things make sense now and why I had to go through X, Y, and Z to get to where I am, even though it's like a whole different parallel universe. Like somehow I feel like it was all worth it or somehow I feel like it's right. Love it. We've talked a lot about how you got here, but where do you want to go? Because I want to ask this in two ways. Obviously there's the more short and medium term of the impact that you want to have with your music and in from, let's just call it what it is from a business perspective of, how you want to grow as an artist and how will you would measure uh, different levels of success or growth. And then the second part of that question obviously is what is the reason for all of this? What do you want to be known for? And again, I know that the vision is far beyond you doing this for your own glorification, but that's later. But what is, how do you, how do you, how do you define Cali stars short and long-term future? What do you want to do? How do we manifest this? Where do, where do you want to perform? Is it, what, what would be a dream scenario for you, for, for you to say, hey, this is why I poured my sweat and tears into this particular chapter of my life? Well, as an artist, personally, I have, I have lifelong goals. Um, I mean, I think I would like to be in, an EGOT holder um, and just... What's EGOT? Tell, tell the people. Oh, uh, I want to win an Emmy. I want to win a Grammy. I want to win an Oscar. I want to win a Tony. Like, I, there's just so many things that I want to do with my music and with my art and creativity. I love writing. Um, I, I have some projects that I'm really excited about right now where I get to write and sing uh, for some of my friends' projects, whether mm. it's film, TV, or video games, or anime, or even NFT things. And so I'm very, very excited to be able to create, to help support my friends' visions with my own art and experience. And I think that's just the beginning. So there's a lot of things that I want to build out uh, for the company as an artist, and then also in other companies. So I, I think this is really, really just the beginning. And there's so much that I want to explore in terms of business in terms of artistry and just show people that you can be innovative um, and you don't have to kind of just grind along one path. You can be creative and find other avenues where other people can succeed along with you. So there's a lot left to unfold, but I think in the immediate, I'm just trying to work on different uh songs for these projects i'm going to be releasing new music as cali star and there's a bunch of things i have in the works so i'm pretty excited as you were talking i looked up how many people have ever been an egot winner there are 17 but here's the cool part one i mean this is not the cool part 
none of them are Asian. So let's go you to be the first one. But two, I don't have a calculator, but the average age, many people hit this in their 50s, 60s, and many in their 70s. And one person hit this at 87 years old, which means we got 50 years <laughs> right, to, to, to check the boxes. Really, we do. And I think that's, that's the thing. I think when we start something in our 30s, it's, it seems like we're late to the game because we, we obsess over youth. I think the Forbes under 30, 30 under 30 list is cool, but I, I'm doing nothing that I did in my 20s. And what if that like sets you on this guilt path or like this dedication path? Like I got to do the thing that I was awarded for, right? Like people pivot, people switch. And if it's in the creative field or if it's something that you were driven by from a legacy perspective, like why the hell not just keep doing what you're doing? And maybe when you're 70 something, 80 something, you get the Lifetime Achievement Award, which is, you know, symbolic and validation of all the things that you've done. And so let, let's flip the tables, Calista. How do we support you? We, we talked about supporting people, so we got we to gotta own up to it. Let's assume streams don't make a whole lot of money for artists. That's not an assumption. That's a fact. So listening to your music sharing is, is fine. That's a given if we want to support friends. How, how else do we, you know, tangibly support you? What means, what, what means a lot to you in helping you to be able to continue this so that you can make more music and eventually help other people make more music? Wow, that's a great question. I mean, I, I'm i just trying to grow organically right now. So I do really need a lot more streams and views and just people who are not just my friends to kind of know about me. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that I haven't released yet because I realized, oh, like for instance, more merch. Like I have other designs for merch, but I realized well, it's probably going to be my friends buying it right now at this point. So like maybe don't release it yet because I'm going to wait until I have more of a following. No, do it now. You can't. No. Do it now. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes. So there's a bunch of things that I have like waiting to drop. Um, but so all, any support really, really matters. But I think if, if we're talking like bigger picture, if you have different projects where you need a music for, cause I, I can put together teams, I can, um, execute projects very well. And I write and I sing and perform, or if there's like different fashion collabs, uh, if you like my style, which is an extension of my artistry and you want, um, Callie star to be part of it, like. I'm happy with that. Um, if you need uh, someone to perform, I can do that as well. But I really, really want, I love creating more than performing, actually. So writing songs, creating different projects, um, right? Uh, even like doing voice acting. I can change my voice to do a bunch of different things. And there's a lot of things with my voice that people haven't heard yet um, that Perfect. I can do. So, Like what? what? What's your most unique voice gift? Well, I have a huge, huge range. So I can sing opera. Wow. I can sing like really high where like the dog whistles. And I can actually sing very, very low too. I can belt like uh, like on Broadway, like Adina Menzel's songs. Like, But people haven't heard that yet. Why haven't they heard that yet? Uh, <laughs> well, in pop music, they're not really wanting you to sing like Sarah Brightman in Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> unless you're FKA Twigs. So just working, finding different projects where I can showcase different aspects of myself and my voice, I think, um, where different parts okay. can come out. And it's like, not just like, I'm just trying to show off, but it actually is fitting for that project and for that artistic expression. I, I feel like you're still holding back from releasing the avalanche of gifts that you have to be able to offer the world. And so I, I, I fully understand the mental blocks that go into that process. But if ever you needed to hear it publicly, I think you should just 
let it all out because I think because you said of, you said this a few times, that's not the world expects of a pop singer. F it, that's 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 somebody else's definition, right? Like we're gonna have on the show next week. I'm gonna I actually didn't figure out. I didn't ask how to say his name properly, but um, Michael Maliakel. He's he plays Aladdin on Broadway, and he's one of us. Like, why not, right? Like, and there's uh, Julia Ryu who got super viral two weeks ago with her Disney princess stuff. Like, she's going to work on stuff. We recorded for an hour and then we lost the tape. Uh, it was the only tape we've ever lost. So we'll have to re-record. Julia, if you're listening, I'm sorry again. But I'm just saying we are in the perfect place in the most opportune time that we've ever experienced as a community to really buck the expectations of what we're supposed to do, get away from all the shoulds and saying, I mean, look, if you if you were bold enough to walk away from a legal career to do this, like, why hold back, right? Like, let it all out because that's the only way you're going to let the world help you decide how you want to impact their lives, right? And so anyway, we're done with a life coaching session now. So this is... <laughs> And I got to say, I mean, this has really been doing all these interviews and conversations with friends, ultimately, super therapeutic for me, too, and just so eye opening and helps me challenge a lot of the the, the blocks that I have had, because it's like, dude, you work for yourself. Like, why are you still telling yourself that you can't or that you shouldn't? The reason why you left the corporate world is because people you didn't who you didn't respect or didn't see your value told you that. And why are you of all people telling yourself no? And you're know, like, cool. I don't because I think I am at least. I don't want to speak for you, but I am still, as much as I say I'm not, still fearful of judgment. I don't want somebody to say, Yep, I told you so. He's gonna change again. He can't stick to one thing for a long time. He's pivoting. He failed at the one thing. And you know, and we're all human, so we experience it. And if anybody tells you that they're immune to criticism, they're lying to you and or or trying to sell you a course. We all experience it. And literally, your name is your company name. And so who's going to tell you otherwise, right? And so anyway, I hope you end up doing all the things that you want to do, that you're capable of doing. Um, and most importantly, when you are ready to let the world hear, literally hear what you have to offer the world. As we wrap, any final things that you wanted to share? Anything that you whether it's something that you're uh, excited to share from a content or product perspective or uh, something that's been on your heart or mind that you've been wanting to share? Oh, well, I think if people want to listen to my latest single, uh, it's called Can't Sleep. I talked about it. It was produced by me and Enoch and our friend uh, Nas co-wrote it with us. And we have a music video that was directed by Brad Wong, who I mentioned. And uh, it addresses mental health actually and a little bit of anti-bullying and it's about digging deeper to address the monsters that keep you up at night and to find healing to be able to have enough peace to sleep and i think mental health is something that has become more in the forefront and, and i think more of us in the asian american community have realized the importance of it and how it used to be so taboo to kind of discuss but um yeah, I, I think with my artistry, I, I there's always a deeper layer and behind like the different 
you know, I guess it's like a, there's an animation and mixed media and there's, you know, there's a lot of like dope visuals, I think. Um, but behind that, there's always a story and that's the purpose behind it. So if you could watch it and if it resonates with you, um, let me know. And hopefully there'll be other projects that we do outside of music for the company, which is called Cali Star Entertainment. So um, follow along if you're interested and you want to watch me and my development as an artist. Um, I love anime. So I always say like, thank you for following along on this arc of me growing into my own and unlocking different voices and, and learning how to share that with the world. Um, I think a lot of it, I, I talked to my friend, uh, Milk, who, Connie Kimberly Lim. Um, we were in the same acapella group in, in college and we often talk about like artistry. And I think she's also shared with me like that she feels sometimes it takes a lot longer for Asian Americans some, somehow, or at least it has for us in our circle to kind of unpack and explore our artistry because there's so much of us that was like fearful or afraid to really be ourselves. And do we have permission? Is it safe? And so there's a lot of, of that um, that we have to unpack. Um, and so I'm on that road and on that journey to digging deeper, to figure out who I am as an artist and how I want to share that with the world. So I really appreciate your encouragement and podcasts like this, where people are just learning about Asian America and Asian Americans and, and hopefully being inspired to pursue their own passions. And who played the monster in the music video? They had more screen time than anything else. <laughs> um, it's a, a woman named Julianne, and she's a professional like mascot. So she has experience <laughs> being a monster. <laughs> if you're curious to know what we're talking about, just uh, YouTube search Can't Sleep uh, Cali Star. Thank you. I, I think, you know, it, it's so fun. Um, we always have a variety of guests on the show. And the people that I, I have to say, I enjoy speaking to all, right? Because I... I can't have favorites, but I do have special favorites. And I, those are the people who I resonate with the most are people who have pivoted in their lives and have decided as, as hard as it is and as evolutionary as it is in our process to unlearn and learn and reserve the right to change our outlook on life and the way that we value things or are people who've decided a little bit later in life than it is quote unquote socially accepted to do the thing that makes us happy to do the thing that we feel is right. And so I, I am so proud of you. I am, we talked about our singing quite a bit, but you know, just the impacts that you've made, the inspiration that you give other people, because you're right, a former lawyer who decides to bleach your hair totally blonde and go singing is not in the playbook. And it's not the ones that your parents, friends at church point to as examples of who you should aspire to be. But you know what? F it, we should because we all have friends who didn't leave that path and some may share some may not but you know they feel trapped so for those friends listening there's plenty of room on this side jump you can do both um there's plenty of people who do both but anyway uh, calissa thank you for joining as we wrap on the show it is dear asian americans and it is our collective letter to each other written by each other to let us know that it's okay to be us ultimately at the end of the day. So if you'd help us, give us the honor of helping us close out the show by finishing the letter, Dear Asian Americans. Listening to this always gets me emotional. It's my favorite part of every podcast episode. Um, but Dear Asian Americans, there's so much beauty in each and every one of you, even if sometimes 
society hasn't told you that or society has made you feel otherwise. I know there's a lot of uh, Asian American men or people who identify as, as male who tell me that they were never told that they're attractive or they, they never receive flowers. Um, I'm here to give you your flowers and tell you that you are absolutely, wonderfully, uniquely, amazingly made. And for the people who identify as Asian American females, a lot of times we feel silenced. We feel like there's a ceiling. We feel like we're put in boxes or it's not safe um, because we're, it could be we're objectified or we're belittled or we're told we can't be this or we can't be that because we have to be that other thing. Um, and so I just want to encourage you, you're absolutely perfect the way you are and all the feelings you have, all the dreams you have, um, how you look, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with any of us. And there's absolutely a place for us. And for those of you who feel like there's, you don't know what that looks like. I encourage you to really look at yourselves and see your story and find that there is value in that and all the things that you've had to overcome because you only have authority over what you've overcome. And maybe you've overcome that to help someone else. Maybe you've overcome that to help just one other person feel like they could overcome it. Um, so we're really, really at a unique time right now where all of us have to rise up and band together and discover our unique beauty and unique powers and share with each other our authentic stories. So now's the time. And if you haven't heard it from anyone else, hear it from me now that I believe in you and that you can absolutely do it. Beautiful. Thank you. It reminds me, there's one, one thing that you said. I belong to a parents group on Facebook and this mom had posted something that got me both really sad and angry. And she said her five-year-old son she said, parents, I want your advice on something. She said, my son wants to give his teachers, male teachers, a rose for Valentine's Day. And her husband, the kid's dad said, no, that's weird. Don't do that. And so she was conflicted and came to, I mean, how much conflict must you have to air that sort of thing in a, in a public Facebook group? And she said, I don't, you know, what should I do? And that just broke my heart. because. Why the hell, and I'm talking to dad specifically, the tough guy, Asian dads who think it's, you know, still cool to be, you know, a loud mouth idiot who laughs at everything without compassion. Like, why the hell are we still gatekeeping and teaching our actual children how to express themselves? Like, I really want to know, right? Like, why? Does it make you feel less of a man? Is it not what you were taught? It's upsetting. But when you said, you know, for, for Asian men who've never received flowers, like, that's Let's not perpetuate that. Let, let's stop that. And so, I don't know, give some dudes flowers this Valentine's Day, even if they're like little flower emojis. The way that we want to show through our actions that we get to define the rules of our own existence is not just in our career choices. It should also be personified through the daily actions that we do so that we stop the toxic masculinity. We stop the homophobia that exists so much in tough guy, Asian circles. It's not worth it. You're ruining your kids. If you're angry about what I just said, and you want to write me, go ahead. I'm raising my two kids to be the best versions of themselves. Again, much respect and love to all of our parents collectively who did what they thought was the best way based on what they can you imagine? I'm gonna go on a rant. Our parents were raised by our grandparents who survived war colonialism, death, 
that's the people who raised us. Give them a break. Figure out how to do it yourself. <laughs> Go talk to a therapist. Like, so anyway, give, give, give. I don't need flowers in my life. I don't, this is not an invitation to buy me flowers unless you're my wife or my kids. But, you know, let's, let's normalize just us being us. And so you embody that in all that you do. There is every single person that, that I've spoken, spoken to where your name comes up in conversation, Calista, their, their face brightens up, they smile, and they have nothing but amazing things to say about you because you are there for people when they need you and, and the community needs you. So not bad for a girl who quit being a lawyer to go sting for a living. Thank you so much. That made me emotional. All right. We'll end there. Thanks, everybody. So we're going to, KJ, play us out with Can't Sleep. CaliStarEntertainment.com is where you can find her and all the places on the internet. Buy out her merch, pay her to speak, pay her to sing. Uh, APAM's around the corner. Ask your company for some money. Give it to us. We'll take it. Thanks, everybody. Please stay healthy. And Callie, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Terry.
heard Can't Sleep by Calistar, and now we close out this episode 152 of the Asian Americans with the full version of her song Don't Give Up Where are we going from here The future seems so unclear Nobody knows what's in store Until they step through that door They tell me to go Up the fight. You'll find-